Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. A proud member of the Good and Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at gunnageeknetwork.com and get ready because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On this week's episode, we're talking the questionable future of Tomb Raider. Board games are back in a big way. And is the Battle Royale genre finally hitting some bumps in the road? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast and listening to all of our shows. Well, it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He is the luchador of Humanica Media. You gotta check out everything going on with his awesome experience known as Humanica Media on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and also his great show, Topicocalypse, on Podbean. It's my good friend. It's Josh Peterson. How you doing, man? Well, you know, sometimes grown men, we like to wear stretchy pants. It's for fun. But you gotta hide your face with a mask, my friend, because in Lucha Libre culture, that is an honor. I like to think that the glasses are like a Clark Kent situation. And I just put on the glasses, tuck my hair to the side, and you don't even know who I am anymore. But hold on. I do this, tuck the hair in front of my eyes, like, oh, hey, there's Josh. And then I put the glasses on, and then you're like, whoa, hey, where'd he go? What's going on here? I think we'll name you El Mysterioso because it's just so mysterious. There you go. There you go. Well, it's going to be a great episode we have for everyone out there today. We've got Rob McCallum standing by in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire. We also have Sam Webb all the way over from the UK. He is going to be talking about all the great games that are at his great place of work, Modifius Entertainment. He is the head of RPG development there, and he and I are going to be talking about all the great things that you can find at Modifius Entertainment, including games based off the Fallout license, Star Trek license, Kung Fu Panda on the way as well, and so much more. We're going to be talking about his lineup of games coming to you this fall, what they have out already, and what he would like to see if he were able to go ahead and have one license to choose from, and I pick my own as well. So we have that coming up. Also as well, we've got so much to talk to you when it comes to about Bethesda and so much more. But first, Josh, I know we've talked a lot about games and we're going to have a fall gaming preview coming up in the next few weeks sometime about focusing in on all the games that are coming out this fall. But 
everybody seems to know already about some of the big players like Ultimate Smash Brothers, Call of Duty Black Ops 4, Red Dead Redemption 2, and including the exclusive to the PlayStation 4, the new Spider-Man game coming around the corner. The one game that I think gets overlooked a lot and that a lot of people don't realize it's coming out next month is Shadow of the Tomb Raider. This is the third in the line in the rebooted series for Tomb Raider. And it comes in the same calendar year as the failed box office try for the latest reboot of Tomb Raider, the movie. I wanted to actually approach the subject to you because this was a series that was rebooted to much greater acclaim on both its first and second tries. But the third try that's coming up, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, seems to be flying under the radar for the most part. Is that intentional? Or does it look like Shadow of the Tomb Raider is not going to be the big hit that I know a lot of people were hoping for? I don't know, man. Like, honestly, I'm looking forward to it. You know, there's some... Um... Well, we barely mentioned it ourselves on this show, and I know you probably haven't mentioned too much in the Super BS Gamescast or any of the other podcasts that are out there as well. Yeah, I mean, it's just it hasn't popped up. But, you know, and I think that's due kind of to poor marketing, and they kind of announced it at a weird time. Remember, they, they put that first trailer out three weeks before E3, then going in, into E3, we got some gameplay footage, but it was like, okay, it wasn't really a surprise announcement, so they didn't get to build that hype of being like, oh my gosh, there's a new Tomb Raider coming out. And then they announced that it wasn't Crystal Dynamics who was working on the game, it was Eidos Montreal was working on the game. So the first two Tomb Raiders I really loved, you know, and I'm really looking forward to Shadow of the Tomb Raider, but it doesn't have the company that made the first two behind it, though they're helping produce it, they're not the ones developing it. And so I think that's leading to some cautiously optimistic about this game coming out and the story does look good and it's the the ending of a trilogy but i think the big fear is here that people are just we're going to get more of the same but from earlier views early looks at the game it looks beautiful it's it's the story looks good so i don't really know what the fear is i'd have to get my hands on it to really dive in depth with it but the first two games that there's a lot of layers to them and i love them because you could kind of, as you're playing through, even after you finish the game, when you're going into these different areas, there are plenty of extra things to, to fill your time with. Did you play any of them? I have, and especially the rebooted first one was truly a huge step up for the Tomb Raider franchise, and you could lay a lot of praise for that one as far as rebooting and rekindling the franchise as a whole because that first reboot, Tomb Raider, if if somebody out there has not played it yet, that's still, to me, one of the best games of the last decade. Right. And, you know, what's cool about it is, I hope, hopefully I can say this on the show, is the that it they moved Tomb Raider out of the area of Laura Croft just being guns and into an area where Laura Croft actually had depth to her character. You cared about what was happening to her. They took the character that everyone knew and loved and they actually developed her into something that you could, now, I don't want to say relate to because obviously we're not all raiding tombs and, and jumping across broken airplanes and stuff, but a character that feels human to you, that feels like you're like, you you want her to succeed. You have a lot, you can, you feel okay investing time into this character. And, you know, they carried that on into Rise of the Tomb Raider because it honestly, like, with each game, it just felt like she was having a really bad day. So by the time the game ended, you're like, 
please just let something good happen to her. And then that's what made that feeling so satisfying when you finally ended the game. And, I, and I'm looking forward to that feeling again as you're finally ending this trilogy. But the question is, where do they go after this? So there's really a lot on the shoulders of Eidos Montreal to, to really pull this game off, not just in gameplay, but story-wise, because we've been following this game for, I want to say the past five years now, or this version of Laura Croft for the past five years. And we're all waiting for something. We want something to, we need some kind of resolution. Even if they carry this character on into future games, we need some kind of resolution. So there's a lot on the shoulders of Eidos Montreal, but I'm hoping that they pull it off. And like, just judging from the pre- the trailers and the gameplay, I haven't seen anything that disappoints me. And, you know, I love the idea of the mechanics where like you can hide in the, the mud and you can hide behind bushes and you can take people out like that. But I don't want that to be something that's so primary, like it's such a primary part of the game that I can't just play it how I normally play, you know, duck behind a log, pop up, shoot somebody, duck back down, drag their body into the thing and then keep going on your way. I don't want to have to to do all these sneaky ways of killing because I feel like that just complicates things. And I don't know if I'm the only one, but. No, you're probably not the only one. In fact, for me, going off the first game, which I found to be a tremendous value and a tremendous game, almost to the level of what I have experienced with the Uncharted series. And you could see a lot of the influence of the Uncharted series within the context of both of those games, both of those iterations in the series so far. And I'm sure a lot of it as well will still be in Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Now, a lot of people say otherwise, vice versa. There's there's a lot of influence of Tomb Raider in the early Uncharted games. That I see as well, but either which way you want to slice it, there has been a really increased emphasis and awareness on storytelling, on visual look, and I think a lot of that shines through with the first two iterations in the Tomb Raider series. Shadow of the Tomb Raider, like I said, it looks great. The gameplay, I'm sure, is is probably even better than before. It's all a matter of the story. Is it going to be still compelling? Do we still care about Lara's quest? Do we still care about what she's doing and the individuals that she's facing off against? Are we still invested in her character like we were in the first two times around? That's something that Naughty Dog has done continuously time and time and time again through four iterations of Uncharted and also a major DLC is that they have invested so much storytelling and narrative, quality narrative into their characters. Eidos Montreal has followed suit with their own major investment and banking on Lara Croft's story. And it has so far paid off and paid off in spades by creating a great series and a great rebooted two iterations so far. Do I see that same continued success? I do, but I'm hoping for, like we said, the same kind of results we've gotten the first two times around. But there is a problem, I think, when it comes to the way it's being marketed because, like I said, not much has been said, not much has been talked about. Only this week are we starting to get glimpses. Only this week are we starting to get videos that really go into more detail, into more depth about the story, about Lara's quest herself, her character, about what's going on, her motivations. Only now are we really getting invested into Shadow of the Tomb Raider, but by then it could be too little, too late. 
Yeah, they didn't exactly plan the release of materials very well. You know, like we discussed earlier, they did release that little teaser trailer three weeks before E3, and then at E3 we got to see some gameplay, you know, and they've just been sporadically, like, sprinkling stuff out as the days have gone on. But what would have really, you know, packed a punch is if they would have waited, had that be part of, like, the Sony release Sony conference or Xbox conference or something like that instead of just being like because a lot of people I think were expecting some kind of announcement at E3 and they kind of ruined it like okay so we all knew it was coming out but we didn't really have the thrill of that punch you know where it's like you see something like oh that's so cool because during these press conferences people get stoked about things even if they're things they already knew came out if it's something that has not been released or announced. And that might be the fault of whoever leaked the IP purchase of Shadow of the Tomb Raider or whatever. But, you know, it still, it still packs a punch to be able to announce something at a press conference. So, you know, the weird thing is, too, I wanted to bring this up, that the critics of the game, it's weird because everyone's like, oh, I really love the first two, but it almost sounds like even, like, if you hear, like, IGN, Giant Bomb, kind of funny, like, all these guys... It almost sounds like they want this third iteration of the game to fail. And that's like, that's weird to me because they're all, they all praise the first two games so much, but it's like listening to their comments and like what they're expecting, like, oh, well, I don't think this game's going to be that good. It's almost like they want it to fail instead of actually like giving it the chance to succeed in the fashion that it does. Because, you know, IGN, you know, all these guys, they're big influencers and, they hold that kind of sway over a video game the same way that Rotten Tomato holds sway over movies. And it just, it's, it makes me sad that they would just, that they would say something like that without actually playing it and make people like weary of it already coming out of the gate. Well, that's again, up to Square Enix. I also have an issue with when they're releasing it. And normally September would be a great time to release a game and have it stand out. But when you have around that same time frame. You've got games like Spider-Man, like I said, the exclusive to PlayStation 4. And guess what Sony's going to be pushing hard over the next few weeks? They're going to be pushing that game a lot. Also, NBA 2K19, that comes out also on the 7th, a week before Shadow of the Tomb Raider comes out. Then you've got NHL 19, also on that date. You've got FIFA 19 coming out two weeks later. You've got those major titles that are going to be released right around that time frame. So it really takes away from any type of success that it may have. Plus, Destiny 2 Forsaken will also be coming around that time. And then next month after that, in October, you've got games like Assassin's Creed Odyssey. You've got WWE 2K19, Forza Horizon 4, Call of Duty Black Ops 4, which is actually coming out way earlier than it would normally do. You've got Battlefield 5. It's funny because at some point in time, you and I are going to talk about that week when Call of Duty Black Ops 4 and Battlefield 5 hit. They're both hitting on the same week, and they're both trying to avoid the impending rush that is known as Red Dead Redemption 2. But Isn't that funny, too, that well, we have well, such a rush of games before well, October well, that's all to avoid. Like you said, you said it best, I believe, about three or four or five episodes ago. I, I don't remember exactly when, but in the recent past where you said they're all clearing out the way for Red Dead Redemption 2, the only major game that is coming out after it at that point in time in the near future after that game comes out is Fallout 76. That's the only one that's really coming out in November. 
that's willing to go ahead in that traditional major time zone to actually take on that. But like I said, we'll delve more into that in the weeks to come. I know also as well, we're going to be doing a fall video game preview. So we'll probably touch on that as well in a lot more detail because December, there's some game releases as well that obviously will excite some gamers even further. But when it comes to Shadow of the Tomb Raider, I mentioned all those games just in brief. And like I said, I'm going to mention even more and you're going to mention even more when it comes to our fall video game preview. And Shadow of the Tomb Raider could very easily get buried. And the only way I think that it's actually not going to get buried is if it gets a top score and it's considered one of the best games of the year. It has to have that kind of hit potential like the first one did, and even almost to the extent to what the second one did, because the second one was just about as good and thought of universally as the first one. So that's why both performed admirably. Although if you talk to Square Enix, they may not agree with you on how well it sold, even though they both have sold several million copies. Their expectations are maybe a lot higher than everyone else's were, but that's another story in and of itself. I'm just worried that Shadow of the Tomb Raider is going to get buried by all these games. I think it should have come out in either either August or maybe pushed even further back, maybe into a spring 2019 release to just to stave off against all these other fierce challenges from all these other games that are coming out within a four to six week time period. Listening to podcasts, reading magazines, reading websites, whatever it is, I think when they interview developers and talk about game, as far as game release schedules, I think the big idea is to have something come out by the holidays. Like that's the goal. That's always the goal to have something come out by the holidays. But from what I understand after going through, uh, reading through Blood, Sweat and Pixels by Jason Schreier of Kotaku, he's saying that, you know, in his experience, he's found that the most successful games are actually released in the spring because there's no pressure to outperform anybody else because it's kind of just an open time and you know we see that too with like borderlands and things like that like those games have always been a lot of what 2k puts out has always come out in the spring and they've always done with the exception of bulletstorm and duke nukem of course they've always done relatively well like those types of games because people just want something to break up the monotony of the back catalog you know and i think spring is a safe time to release something but for shadow the tomb raider you know, I, I see it from a point of view where there's, you know, I don't want to say not a lot of people are going to play this game, but it's one of those things where it's like, if you have the urgency to play the game, I think you're more likely to play it than if it pops out in like the spring and you're trying, you're in the middle of a back catalog. Are you going to stop playing whatever you're working on to go play Shadow of the Tomb Raider and then get, jump back into the game you play? So I, I kind of understand if it comes out at the beginning of the gaming rush and like people are just looking for stuff to buy and play, I can see it having a better measure of success than kind of popping out in in an odd time just think my friend if it would have come out in the spring how much more successful and how much more press and pub it would have gotten and attention it would have deserved because it would have come out probably on a week or two week period where that was the only big game that was available to consumers so i i really think that was an error on square enix's part that they have too much confidence or too much faith in the Tomb Raider franchise when it could easily get buried under the stress of and under the weight of all these other great games that are coming out around the same time as well. 
We've seen games that have come out in the spring that have faltered, like for instance, Mass Effect Andromeda. That came out on the first half of the year in 2017. And even though it was considered a critical and sales disappointment, do you realize it was still one of the top 10 best-selling video games of last year, even as a disappointing game in and of itself? So that tells you right there that being released in the first half of the year gets you a lot more attention, gets you a lot more notice, gets you a lot more acclaim, and gets you maybe a little bit more attention that you deserve. Because being released now next month, that's a daunting task for Laura Croft and Shadow of the Tomb Raider. What are your thoughts on Shadow of the Tomb Raider? Are you going to play it? Are you interested in it? Or are you done with the Tomb Raider franchise as of now? Share us your thoughts, Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, like I said, we've got a great episode coming up for you today. We've got a lot of talk coming up from our good friend Rob McCallum in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire. We've also got Sam Webb, the head of RPG development at Modifius Entertainment. He's going to be talking a lot about all the great games that they're coming up with and that they have already at Modifius Entertainment. On the back end, Josh and I are going to be talking about the Battle Royale genre. There are some signs that people are are getting a little bit over the latest fad in gaming. Is it on the way down? Is the ceiling sort of been reached on the Battle Royale genre? We'll be talking about that. And like we said, a whole lot more on today's program. This is the PCC Multiverse. Mm, Nothing's better when grilling your favorite meal than adding some delicious Wheelie Q rubs, seasonings, and gluten-free barbecue sauce. Made with the finest ingredients, Wheelie Q products pack a ton of flavor to your meals, whether it's ribs, chicken, steak, hamburgers, fries, or vegetables. To get your hands on some of these tasty Wheelie Q items, head on over to www.wheelieq.com and a portion of all profits made will go into finding a cure for spinal muscular atrophy. PCC Multiverse listeners, act now and get 15% off your order today just by entering the promo code POD2. That's P-O-D and the number 2 at checkout. For the tastiest food on the grill, nothing's better than Wheelie Q items today at wheelieq.com. And we're back with another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. Well, it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. He is the man when it comes to RobMcCallumFilms.com, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, and so much more is my good friend. It is Mr. Rob McCallum. Pray tell, Rob, what's going on in your world when it comes to pop culture? So we've talked a lot over the last year about two topics, and now comes the time. This this maybe should be reserved for our New Year's kind of year-in-review show, but I think we're at the stage in the year because we've talked about these two things for over a year now, that maybe we can forecast or have our kind of mid-year picks. Which has had a rougher go in the last little while, okay? You, you get a choice between two options. DC Films... Or movie pass. Well, I can tell you, as someone who reports quite regularly on the impending 
I guess, roller coaster that is Movie Pass, and right now it's really on a downhill slide. I would probably say by far and away Movie Pass because DC films can actually make up a lot of ground if Aquaman becomes a success. DC films with their streaming service, maybe that could be something that's really palpable for them. Uh, and you know, DC is just all over the CW. So there's at least something Warner Brothers can still hold its head high on. But when it comes to Movie Pass, and word comes recently that via the stock market that the shares are now trading at a low now of a nickel, a nickel a share, losing pretty much all its value. MoviePass reporting that it's having issues repaying it back its loan. Losses are now heavy. Lawsuits are, have begun now. Lawsuits have begun now. It looks like it's really the beginning of the end for the actual MoviePass itself. Although, out of the blue, they financed not only the Gotti film that was horrible as far as what most critics are saying that appeared earlier this year from John Travolta, Travolta yeah. that they're actually now financing another film with what money, I don't even know, but they're helping to finance a film with Bruce Willis coming up, which just totally makes me scratch my head. And then you got the fact, like I said, that their unlimited plan of going to the movies is now gone by the wayside, and they've changed it, and they modified it right now currently as we speak, although that's subject to change. It's now currently down to three movies a month, which in some markets actually is still a decent value, but then you're limited on number of the movies you see, and that's been a point of contention. And now you have an issue where they're trying to say, okay, well, we're going to get all the movies back that you want to see on the plan. And it's just creating a situation where it's really a problem. And I talked to Chris Daly from Fresh Media Works, and he was just as a movie pass fan and a movie pass customer and someone who's brought in a lot of friends as customers, just really upset that he's actually gone through this in the first place because it was a really sweet deal while it lasted. But the business plan itself, as he indicated, was from the get-go was really going to be hard to sustain. Yeah, and I read an article recently uh, that compared a lot of the other subscription services out there. And, you know, one of the ones that doesn't seem so attractive off the surface would appeal to guys like you and myself because of the families that we towed along with us. And that's the Cinemark Movie Club. Now, of course, you got to have Cinemark theaters or Century theaters or a rave cinema near you. But, you know, it's $8.99 per month for one movie. But you also get 20% off concessions. And you can share it with a friend. So if your friend's there buying stuff, you can get 20% off their concessions too. There's no online fees for when you buy tickets. And if you want to add on tickets. And let's say that, you know, it's December and you're busy or January and there's nothing out. Those tickets roll over. You know, remember when rollover minutes on cell phone became like the thing to kind of get? Well, Cinemark has kind of like cracked that. And it's not like as many movies as you can see for a low price, but that's a pretty fair start considering most ticket prices are twelve fifty and up anyways. So you're already saving money there, 20% off your popcorn and drinks. You bring the family. I mean, Gerald, I don't know about for you, but when I go out with my fam, we're looking at 50 bucks for fun between the tickets and the concessions. And the concessions make up more than half of that. And if I can save 20%, I think that's a pretty good deal. That part is agreeable with with you on that, but for people, whoa, whoa. Uh, yes, we I know. Return we return with some agreements. We return with some agreements, indeed. But I will say that if the movie individual that just loves to go see the movies, that likes to cut the corners, that doesn't, that realizes the extreme expenditure that is the concessions, where 
the movie theaters actually make quite a bit of money off of. And you and I both know that when you're paying $6 for a Coke that you could buy for a dollar at McDonald's, we all know this. It becomes the fact that if they do not go to the theaters as far as like I was giving you an example of Chris Daly from Fresh Media Works. He was more adamant about going to the theaters just to see the movie. And if you're into just that part of it and you're not going to really get involved in the concessions or any of the other expenditures that the movie theaters want you to do, Cinemark may not be the greatest option. And if that's the case, there's really not a great option right now if MoviePass fails because three movies a month for $10, that's not a bad deal as long as there's a good enough selection of movies to choose from. The problem is they should have done that in the first place. And yeah, maybe they'd now be it feels a, like they're taking it away from people. Exactly. And they'd be a lot more solvent today because of it. They wouldn't have had the extreme meteoric growth that they did in a short period of time, but they would be. But it would have been manageable. It would have yes. been manageable. It would have been understandable. It still would have been like a three for one kind of deal. And it would have been something that, like you said, they could have sustained for longer and worked with people. And I see somebody else either buying Movie Pass out or actually getting into the fray with their own deal that's probably similar to what Movie Pass is doing now, but it could be a, a big case of too little, too late. Well, it's funny that you use that phrase because I wanted to compare these two subjects very specifically for that reason with DC Films and Movie Pass because Wonder Woman is good and maybe Aquaman will be good, but is it too little, too late? And are they going to stop in their tracks and just do their own titular hero films again without worried about worrying about, you know, an expanded universe, and the extra headache that comes with looping that in? I mean, we have two Joker movies in the works now, it seems, and a whole bunch of other Green Lantern corn. We'll get back to that. But maybe it's too little too late to go so deep into the DC canon because they still haven't got the big guns right. How embarrassing would it be if they nailed a Plastic Man movie but still couldn't figure out how to do a Superman or Batman movie really, really well? Well, Rob, as always, it's been great talking to you, my friend. I know you're a busy man with all that stuff you've got going on, but it's just great to have you a part of the Cosmic Crossfire and, of course, right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. And we're back with the show. This is Gerald once again coming right back at you here. Well, tabletop gaming is now at an all-time high with a lot of games that are now available all across the board from licensed games to non-licensed games, original games that are out there, and games that actually recreate a lot of the things we love in pop culture. And who better to talk about tabletop RPG gaming than one of the leading, if not the leading manufacturer of tabletop games that are out there. He is the head of RPG development at Modifius Entertainment. You got to check out their awesome site today at modifius.com and check out, my gosh, it's almost like an encyclopedia full of titles that this great company has made so far. It is Sam Webb. Just great to have you a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos, Sam. How you doing? 
Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's kind of evening time here. I know it's kind of morning for you. Trying to arrange interviews like that overseas with UK, Australia that I do on occasion to figure out, is the actual time frame correct on that Google or whatever translator you use as far as the time difference is concerned? So always fun in doing that, trying to get the math right. But it's great to have you here. And it looks like from what I'm seeing and on all the news that's out there on games such as yours, really it's a great time to get into tabletop RPG gaming. Yeah, there's such a selection out there at the moment uh, that the market is full of some incredible IPs. We were at Gen Con a couple of weeks ago, and just to see the number of vendors there and the number of games there, especially the Ennies as well, was just astounding. And that's something I want to ask you about, because like you said, Gen Con was recently. From what I'm seeing and all the video that I saw shot there, it looks like it's grown exponentially over the course of even just the past two, three, four years. Yeah, uh, well, my first experience of Gen Con was only last year, so I've been just twice now. But it, it's just huge, and we don't have anything comparable in the UK, really. We have UK Games Expo, which is probably around half the size, I'd say, or a bit less in terms of, I think, in terms of people through the door. Otherwise, we have a few smaller conventions, but just nothing beats the the, the massive trade hall, the big gaming areas and or everything that goes on. And the whole town takes part, it feels like. So I have seen, and it's really something uh, for me here in Las Vegas that has conventions quite a bit themselves. It's something when you can see where you have a whole collection, a whole gathering of people just celebrating over one event. And I tell you what, Gen Con is such a great event at this point in time. And I'm sure your company was really upfront with everything that it had to deliver, including games that are, are really just getting a lot of pub out there, including games like Fallout Wasteland Warfare. And one I originally wanted to talk to you about, Star Trek Adventures as well. Looks like both games are going to be a really big hit this fall for people that are looking for a Christmas gift or really a game to really get into as far as tabletop RPG gaming is concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Star Trek Adventures this fall has the starter set coming out. So we had our core rulebook came out last year, and that's done really well for us already. And the starter set is going to be more like an introductory box set, like you get your kind of D&D red box, or you get something like that. And that's for new players or for people who are fans of the IP who really want to just give RPGs a go just to kind of dip their toe and it has everything they need to play and it kind of teaches them as it goes and then in terms of war gaming fallout wasteland warfare of course is up there and, and we were demoing that at gen con just as pre-order copies were shipping to customers so that's going to be in stores very shortly and should do really well for us as well we're really excited about it I can imagine. And with Fallout 76 coming to store shelves as a video game to almost coincide with the release of Fallout Wasteland Warfare, it really makes for a great time for Fallout fans. Got to admit, I had no idea that Fallout 76 was a thing that was happening. So we, we were watching the stream that they put out on Twitch along with everybody else to see what, what it was and what was going on. I mean, obviously, you know, we, we know a little bit more now. But at the time, it was it was a little bit of a surprise. We knew something was happening, but we didn't know exactly what. It's coincided really well. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And with QuakeCon, which is Bethesda's event, which just happening in the recent weeks, it just gives fans a great time to embrace Bethesda products or Bethesda-related products, such as Fallout Wasteland Warfare. And I know as someone, like you said, just now aware of Fallout 76, 
which is not exactly a true standalone Fallout per se. It's more of a focused multiplayer adventure. I think it's, it's probably what best way to say it. It's, it's carrying more into that realm. It looks like it's still going to be a big hit this fall and coinciding with that game Fallout Wasteland Warfare. It just looks like it's going to be a great game itself. Yeah, it should be absolutely incredible. I mean, we've taken design elements certainly from the likes of kind of your X-Wings and what has kind of skirmish gaming and what kind of miniatures gaming has started to become, which is a lot more scenario-based, narrative-driven, has accessible components and rules as well. So that was, I know, was kind of the focus of those guys in the war game department, certainly. Absolutely. And not only that, but you've got also Star Trek Adventures as well and basing it off that IP. And it's now really cool again to be a Star Trek fan with the advent of obviously the, the show that's now on CBS All Access and Star Trek Discovery. And now Patrick Stewart hired to be on his own Star Trek series as well. So Star Trek is gearing up. It looks like it's a great time to be a Star Trek fan. And the Star Trek Adventures, I know you've been getting a lot of favorable press on that game coming out as well with the starter kit, like you said. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We Critically, we had a really good response from people, uh, fans as well. As I say, the core rulebook, which is basically the, the, you know, the main substance of the game, has been out for about a year now. We launched at Gen Con in 2017. And I'm just really proud of the product. From what I hear from fans, it's they're constantly saying that this is the game that feels most like Star Trek because there have been various iterations before from various other licensees over the years. But we're really proud to have actually really brought the kind of themes and feeling of being a Starfleet officer, going out, exploring, discovering new things as a key part of the game. You know, we we definitely wanted to focus on that as the main cut and thrust of of the game and its adventures rather than kind of goblin bothering going into dungeons and you know killing lots of monsters that's that's not really what star trek's about so we really wanted to have science discovery exploration as the focus of the themes we explored you're listening to the pop culture cosmos don't touch that dial wait do, do people still use dials hey listener dutch here from voice from the underground the podcast my co-host and I want to invite you to check out our little corner of the podcast verse. At Voice from the Underground, we talk about all the crazy <laughs> happening around us and try to make a little bit of sense out of the nonsense with little to no results. If the idea of hearing three semi-intelligent, outspoken nerds talk about politics, social issues, current events, sports, movies, pretty much anything that we decide to talk about because, well, it's our show, appeals to you, grab your shovel and come on down to the underground and then consult a qualified psychotherapist. Find us wherever you get your podcasts, just not where you buy your weed. Voice from the Underground. Once again, I'm with Sam Webb. He is the head of RPG development at Modifius Entertainment. You've got to check out their awesome site today at modifius.com. That's M-O-D-I-P-H-I-U-S.com. One thing I want to also talk to you about is, well, I know you can't talk too much about it, but isn't it great to see that a lot of the stuff that Modifius is actually putting out there to consumers, including a possible Kung Fu Panda game that actually got backed on Kickstarter? I know you can't talk too much about that game per se, but... How reassuring it is it when a project like that gets underway, gets proposed, and gets backed on Kickstarter? 
Oh, it's really encouraging from fans, obviously, that they still enjoy what we're doing and that we've proven ourselves in terms of credibility for dealing with different intellectual properties from different companies or different makers themselves, like the Infinity role-playing game, like you say, Kung Fu Panda or Star Trek, where you're dealing with someone else's property, you're dealing with someone else's ideas and themes. And often that comes with a lot of baggage in a good way of fans and their interpretation of what that universe is like or what that world and what that looks like and what it feels like. So we're very diligent, we're very careful in terms of making sure that, that comes across in the games. So Kung Fu Panda, it's it's not going to be a very complex, in-depth game. It's going to be very readily accessible, fast and furious. It's all about kind of, you know, Kung Fu action with a kind of cartoon feel. And that really is is kind of that for, for Kung Fu Panda. In terms of Star Trek adventures, like I said, it's more about the exploration and discovery of things. Whereas with Infinity, it was much more about Gutier and the, the world of Infinity, this universe they've constructed, you know, the, of the human sphere. And then with Conan as well, which, which we did an RPG of and was another Kickstarter we did a couple of years ago. Conan equally is a sword and sorcery adventure, brutality and strange magic. You know, we're very keen to make sure that we get Robert E. Howard's world absolutely right. That's awesome, because like you said, Conan is now available. Also, you have Mutant Chronicles, Vampire the Masquerade, John Carter, Dune. All these games are based off of those properties, and you've got a ton more. And if you want to check it out today, it's at modifius.com. Before we head on out, my friend, I want to ask you this. Two things. First off, why do people need to look at your site and focus on your games as a way of, for a great idea for not only just a birthday gift or if they're a tabletop RPG gaming fan in their lives or as a great holiday gift for someone who may want to get into the tabletop RPG process? Well, I mean, our games really do represent, like I said, allow you to tell your own stories in your favorite universe your favorite ip and that's something that's key that comes through i think all of our games through from the war games of wasteland warfare to the board games of kung fu panda and then also mainly into the rpgs that that we produce oh that's awesome and you know if you do check out the site modifius.com and you check out everything that's there and available from modifius entertainment again it's a huge list of licensed and non-licensed games so you gotta check it out today i will say this I know you guys have had the fortune to get and uh, go after and and obtain a lot of licensed games for a lot of entertaining hours of fun and whatnot. But I know there may be some some uh, maybe a license out there that you would love on a personal level to get and and say, hey, Modifius, maybe you want to look in this direction. And uh, although without telling any secrets or anything behind the scenes or whatnot, if there was a fantasy type scenario, what type of license would you personally like to go after? Because I've got one of my own that I'd, I'd love to see come to fruition at one day by either Modifius or, or anyone else in the tabletop RPG field. Yeah, of course. No, Com- completely personally speaking, I've got two IPs that really I absolutely adore. The first from a f- quite a few years ago now is The Matrix. I would absolutely love to work on a on a Matrix game. Excellent call. Um, Excellent call. Yeah, I, I I grew up as a a teenager watching it. Then I watched the the sequels, and I don't think they're terrible. I know that's controversial. But, <laughs> and, uh, 
and uh, and then I played The Matrix Online, which the Wachowskis were involved in. I know, I remember. And then when Sony took it over, unfortunately declined into them uh, closing the servers. I would love to see that, you know, again. I'm not sure if we're in for a resurgence of the IP or anything, but, you know, it's a personal love and I absolutely adore there to be an RPG for it. And then secondly, you know, I'm a massive Fallout fan, so I'm really excited about Wasteland Warfare and just any possibility of doing anything else with Bethesda is an absolute dream for me. So, you know. I'm catered on one side and kind of left hanging with the Matrix, I guess. I hear you, but that's still some great suggestions. And having Fallout now a part of the Modifius lineup is certainly a great catch indeed. Although I think it would be even a greater catch if if Modifius were to inquire or at least ask about a certain Mass Effect. (laughs) (laughs) Hint, 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 hint there. I'm a big fan of the Mass Effect series because I've got Shepard right behind me here. But, you know, if that ever comes to play, like I said, you've got a fan right here indeed. But definitely you've got a lot of fans out there that love your games, that love everything you bring to the table. I know I've enjoyed what I've seen so far, everything that, that you guys have had to display and everything in the future. I'd love to get you on closer to the holiday season and right around there just to remind everybody all the great things that Modifius Entertainment has to offer because everybody will be now checking out Modifius.com, but it is important to remind people that Modifius has a lot of great games that they should be looking for this holiday season. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll do. I'm happy to come back on. That's awesome. And you can also give everyone updates on all the great stuff that's going on. Once again, it is Modifius.com. That is M-O-D-I-P. H-I-U-S.com. That's Modifius.com and Modifius Entertainment for all the great games that they have out there. And I'll tell you what, like I said, I'm counting at least 20 titles that are active that I see on their website right now. And you can check out all the great titles that they have today. It is a huge list indeed of licensed and non-licensed games and accessories right there for you. Just truly a pleasure, Sam, to, to have you a part of the show and I'll tell you what, it's just looking like a great gaming season right there at Modifius Entertainment. Yeah, it really is. And we've got some incredible stuff coming up as well, but can't talk much about that, I'm afraid. I know, I know. But I'll, I'll, I'll press you at some point in time later down the road. That's that Rest assured on that, at least I'll, I'll try and needle you, maybe hopefully get a little bit of a, a advanced word on some great games coming from Modifius Entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. Once again, it's Sam Webb, the head of RPG development at Modifius Entertainment. It's truly a pleasure to have you a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glasser along with my good friend Josh Peterson. Remember, if you want to know a listing of what's going on with all of our great shows and all of our great programming, you just need to check out our Facebook page, Pop Culture Cosmos. You'll see a schedule right there because we're on radio seven days a week, 
and on over 30 different podcast networks. Just check us out. Remember, you can also subscribe to our podcast at any point in time on our Podbean channel, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Anchor. We're on over 30 different podcast networks. Anywhere you can find Pop Culture Cosmos, you just go ahead and subscribe and you'll get the latest episodes right to you. Josh, just to let you know, your sexy radio voice is not on. Hold on. Is it really? Yeah. You've been talking through your uh, computer mic the whole time. I sent you a comment on there. but Oh, dude, my bad, man. Okay, hold on. Let me... Uh... I just want to let everybody know right there, this has the, been the Josh Peterson of the first 85 episodes that we had so before he found... Hey, his... look, there's an air gap. That's what happened. See this? Yeah. <laughs> That's a not plugged in mixer right here. There you go. There you go. So technical errors there. But hey, it sounded good. Came through well. Just it's the it's the style and the sound that you said you originally weren't happy with. So I, I remember him coming to one day and saying, you know what, Gerald, I'm just not happy with the way I sound. Let me go ahead and try something different. And that's when he found his uh, sexy radio voice there. How's this? There you go. See, there you go. I notice how your voice goes lower as soon as you get to that and how your voice is higher with the computer mic on. Talk, 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 talk. Oh no. Oh no. Hold on one second. I'm losing you, man. Talk, 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 talk. Hey, there we go. All right. All right. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, my voice still sexy. Um, apparently yes. Yes. The ladies love it. All right. Good. Uh, sound go. off in the chat. If you're a female, if you're a male too, we don't discriminate. There you go. There you go. All right. Anyways, you've got a great thing going on with Topic Topicocalypse, my friend, for Humanica Media. So what's going on, man? We actually just put out an episode on movie villains, and it's actually quite a good episode, if I do say so myself. I kind of hate most of what we record. So this one actually came out pretty good, and we're talking about movie villains. Brian Kane, PhD, has created a category or uh, categorization. Is that a word for movie villains? So he has... Four or five different categories and asks us to place villains in these categories. You know, we get into conversations about the Joker and real life murderers and urban legends and all that kind of stuff. So it's probably the most reminiscent of a true crime podcast that Topicocalypse has ever done. So uh, feel free to download that today on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, and all the usual suspects. And, you know, true crime is usually the way to go when it comes to the podcasting field. So how about true crime, pop culture, cosmos? There you go. Would we talk about who murdered the trends in pop culture? Oh my gosh. It, for most people, that would start and end with Disney and Lucasfilm, but we won't go there. Hey, seriously, if you get a chance. Oh, or, or DC, Warner Brothers in DC as well. Or, or DC. But if you guys get a chance, read Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by Jason Schreier, and they talk about how Star Wars 1313 got murdered. And that's an interesting story. I bet it is. If he only could tell us as well, I know it happened after the book came out and whatnot about Amy Hennig and her Star Wars story as well being axed by EA. I'd, I'd love to know the insight on that, being the Uncharted fan that I am. Now that Josh has a sexy voice back for radio and found that he actually has plugged in his microphone correctly, we can now go ahead and finish this episode on a high note in regards to the Battle Royale genre. And I know this must make you happy, my friend, because you know the success of Fortnite and more power to Epic Games for being so huge, so big, so fast. PUBG, B 
being also very big, very, very widely accepted by the worldwide audience, being everywhere on every different type of format for both those games, from mobile to any kind of platform that's out there. But there's been so many different suitors, so many different games that have tried to follow suit. I'm starting to hear a lot of backlash, my friend. In fact, I posted stories relating to certain franchises such as Call of Duty with their Black Ops 4 coming out that's going to have a Battle Royale right out of the box. And then also as well, Battlefield 5, which in its latest video has all but said that they're going to be producing one. They've been tight-lipped at Dice Studios about it, but it looks like there's going to be a Battle Royale game on the way as well at some point in time, probably after the release of the actual game itself in October. This has caused a lot of fervor amongst fans that are just tired of the Battle Royale genre already. And this reminds me of what happened in 2008, 2009, when the Horde mode was going like crazy and every single game had to have its own version of the Horde mode that was copied from the probably the best version of it and the most original version, which, was, which I believe was Gears of War 2. Everybody tried to follow suit. Everybody tried to have their own horde mode. And it really got to be so much so that it burned the whole genre out. It looks like it's on the way to doing the same. Although Fortnite, we know, is still very, very popular at this point in time. But I ask you, my friend, are you seeing the signs from people? Are you seeing the signs of wear and tear and fatigue? Is the Battle Royale genre on its way out? Doug, you know how I feel about the Battle Royale genre. So anytime I hear bad news about Battle Royale, and I'm, I'm just thinking, yes. No, it's weird. Did you, have you had a chance to look at the latest issue of Game Informer? No, I have not. I've just, like I said, I'm basing off this a lot of comments that have been made my way in regards to news items that I post in regards to these games. A lot of people are making comments of how sick and tired they are of the Battle Royale genre already. Yeah, because everyone's kind of doing the same things over and over again. But it's interesting, Game Informer, they they interviewed one of the the big heads over at Ubisoft, and he was saying that they asked him about the Battle Royale genre, and they're saying, yeah, they're paying attention to it, but when they finally do something that's like Battle Royale, they don't, they, the fear at Ubisoft is that the Battle Royale genre is going to burn itself out. And when they finally have something that's, they believe in enough like the battle royale genre they want it to be different they want it to have like the the whole concept of like an assassin's creed game you can have you know you have all these people on the uh, was unity suffered from having too many people on the map but a lot of games have processing issues when it comes to having like more than 50 players on the map at once so they're saying that a lot of these big companies are not scared but they're cautious about creating battle royale games because they don't want to just do it to fit the trend they need to have the processing power and they don't want to have like a day one patch it's like 20 gigabytes you know and things like that so there's companies it sounds like a lot of companies are working on things that they want to be as popular as the battle royale genre but they're not really looking into the battle royale genre itself and i know that 343 was posed with the question of hey will the new halo have a battle royale game type on it and they're like Nope, we're focusing strictly on, you know, our traditional multiplayer and single player versions of the game. And good for them because I honestly like if you were to ask me to forecast the success of the new Call of Duty, I'm pretty sure that's not going to be very successful. Well, I will say that 
there is a trade-off. The more players you want on the battlefield, the more, like like we're talking about with NASCAR Heat, when we were doing a comparison to NASCAR Heat, and you said up to 40 cars on the track at the same point in time, there usually is a trade-off when it comes to graphics, look, the visual fidelity of the game. When it comes to the more players you want on the given map or the given battlefield, so to speak, pardon the pun, so I'm assuming if Battlefield and Call of Duty have a Battle Royale genre and they want 50 to 100 players like you see in PUBG and Fortnite, especially Fortnite, they're going to have to probably do a trade-off when it comes to the actual look of the game itself because we all know Fortnite, it's not the greatest looking game, but it runs pretty good uh, depending on the right system because of the fact that it has a cartoonish look a, I'm not going to say dumbed down look, but a watered down look so it can support that many players. Right. And I see what you're saying with, with something because you hear about uh, like EA's Frostbite engine. It suffers from enough issues as it is just having a multiplayer mode or just having a single player campaign. So I don't see them really rushing resources into something like that, be able to tackle the battle royale genre. I don't see them putting a lot of time and effort because I feel like that would take a lot of time effort resources things that ea doesn't really have or doesn't really have well i'm sure they have it but they don't just have the time because they're they don't want to create another battlefront they don't want to like deal with all these issues that they've been dealing with in the past so with a buggy engine you don't want to devote resources into something if you don't think it's going to pay off and if you think it's going to take a long time to pay off so it sounds like ea is obviously working on something but I don't think it's going to be Battle Royale in the sense that we're seeing it in like PUBG or Fortnite. I think it's going to be something that, you know, is far more perfected. It might not even be a Battle Royale type thing, but it might be just as good. So we don't know. I think the Battle Royale trend is coming to an end, but we're going to be seeing something new on the horizon. Oh, yeah, we definitely will. Because as you know, fads and choices and things change in the gaming industry so quick. But it won't come too soon for longtime followers of Game Source and Pop Culture Cosmos. I know for Game Source, I often hear from Alexander. And, you know, I, I tell you what, it's it's so funny. Well, like you said, Fortnite is still in beta technically, but it's it's made a gazillion dollars already. And Epic's really going to be able to live off the success of Fortnite right now for a long time to come. But like I was saying, Alexander, He's always very opinionated on our Game Source forum and the Game Source page on Facebook. And and he just, you know, he and others have had truly enough of the Battle Royale genre and it coming to different platforms and different games that he likes to play. And all of a sudden he sees a, a Battle Royale mode and it just turns him and other players off in the wrong direction. And like you, I see a scaling down at some point in time of the battle royale genre and i think it will come sooner rather than later what are your thoughts on the battle royale genre do you still like to play all those games in the field do you like to play fortnite PUBG, and all the other great games are you excited for battle royale to be coming to games and coming to series like battlefield and also call of duty as well share us your thoughts popculturecosmos at yahoo.com plus popculturecosmos Mannequin Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. want to thank Rob McCallum for being in the middle of the Cosmic Crossfire, and of course, Sam Webb, the head of RPG development at Modifius Entertainment, for taking the time for being on our broadcast today. 
Well, before we head on out, I want to thank so much for the people that have given us five-star reviews recently on our Pop Culture Cosmos channel on iTunes, aka Apple Podcasts. So Nicole X, Rigor, Shooting Breezes, Maynard Dixon have all given us five-star reviews. We truly appreciate it. I really want to thank each and every one of you for your kind words. And if you decide to go ahead and give us a shout out or a five-star review, we truly appreciate it. Whether it's Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podchaser, or wherever you get your podcasts. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. Do you know the ESO Network has a brand new Patreon? That's right. We're asking for your help, and you could do it for as little as a dollar a month. Don't fret. All your favorite shows will still be available for free, as always. But you can get exclusive podcasts and more not heard anywhere else but on our Patreon. To sign for the ESO Network, Patreon's easy. All you have to do is go to ESOPodcast.com and click on the link. With your support of the ESO Network, it's you who will reap the rewards. You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos and stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.